Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job. And this evening we're going to look at Job chapter 30. So we're starting to read at Job 30 verse 1. But now they mock me, men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. Of what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigour had gone from them? Haggard from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land in desolate wastelands at night. In the brush they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom tree. They were banished from their fellow men, shouted at as if they were thieves. They were forced to live in the dry stream beds, among the rocks and in the holes in the ground. They brayed among the bushes and huddled in the undergrowth, a base and nameless brood. They were driven out of the land. And now their sons mock me in song. I have become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me, they throw off restraint in my presence. On my right the tribe attacks. They lay snares for my feet. They build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road. They succeed in destroying me without anyone helping me. They advance as through a gaping breach. Amid the ruins they come rolling in. Terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. And now... My life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. In his great power God becomes like clothing to me, he binds me like a like the neck of he binds me like the neck of my garment, he throws me onto the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up from the drive and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for the light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened. But not by the sun, I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels, my body burns with fervour. My harp is turned to mourning, and my flute to the sound of wailing. Well, that's quite a strong passage there, uh, passage chapter 30 of Job, and we're going to have a look at that passage together. But before we do, let's pray.
Oh, Father, we do thank you again for the fact that we are able to gather in this way around your word. And as we do this, we ask that you might speak to us through it, that we might hear your voice as we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, well, Job chapter 30. This is really, what is Job's final speech? He will speak again, but not in a speech. He will speak to God. But Job's final speech started in chapter 26, and it will end in chapter 31. And after answering Bildad, Job takes time to consider the meaning of wisdom, and he reminds himself of how God defines wisdom. We read that in Job 28, verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Now we said that this description uh, fits with God's opinion of Job. Back in Job chapter 1 verse 8, When the Lord said to Satan, You have considered my servant Job, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, in chapter 29, Job looks back at how he has treated other people. And in this passage, he's not boasting about it, but he he is telling us that he has helped and supported many, many people. The poor, the fatherless, the widow, the blind, the lame, the needy, the stranger, the victims who suffered at the hands of the wicked. They were all blessed by this man who was blessed by God and who served God in this way, by blessing others. At that time when the people looked at Job, they saw a man who feared the Lord, a man who was wise, a man who shunned evil and who had great understanding. We know this because this is what Job said in chapter 29, verse 21 through to 25. He said, People listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, They spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. We're going to see in chapter 30 that Job turns from the past to the present. As he tells us how he is he himself is being treated, and there's a sharp contrast between the then and now. He's already seen by his friends as being a guilty sinner, being punished by God. And in addition to that, he's being harangued and degraded by what we could call the dregs of society. So when we come to verse 1 through to 8, we can ask the question, who, who are these people? Let's listen to what is said in these verses. But now they mock me, men younger than I, I whose fathers I would not have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. Of what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigour had gone from them? Haggard from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land in desolate wastelands at night, in the 
brush they gathered salt herbs and their food was the root of the broom bush. You know, when we read this, we, we've got to realise who we're actually, uh, or who Job is speaking about. These are not the poor victims of society. If they were, then in the past, Job would have helped them. He knows them, he knows their fathers, he knows their families, and he knows that they couldn't even be trusted to look after his sheepdogs. They were lazy, and their deeds were dark. And we read on in verse 5 and 6, they were banished from human society, shouted at as if they were thieves. They were forced to live in the dry stream beds among the rocks and in the holes and in the ground. In verse 7 and 8, they brayed among the bushes and huddled in the underground, in the undergrowth. And verse 8 is really the verse that we can take note of because he says, a base and nameless brood, they were driven out of the land. You see, these are people who were banished from society because of their chosen way of life. They were lazy, they could not be trusted, they were violent, they were victims of their own circumstances. People who refused to be helped when help was offered. You know, in times past, we would have used the word vagabond to describe them. But today, and here in Liverpool, we probably refer to them as being scallies. And then Job goes on in verse 9 through to 15 and we hear of something of what these people are doing. Verse 9 and 10. And now those young men mock me and sung. I have become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. What's happening here is Job is the butt of their humour. You know how... Certain names in the Bible do get tagged as being um, what we might call bywords. You've got Jonah. He, his name has become a byword for a jinx. You know, we don't want a Jonah on board. And also Jeremiah is byword is for one who is a pessimist, someone who's miserable. And now Job has become a byword, a word that's used in his day to describe the lowest of the low. To become a Job is to be seen as being the lowest of the low. And, and even a person who the scallies look down on. You know, one of the most horrible things is to spit in someone's face. And for most people, this... It, it, <laughs> They'd sooner be punched in the face rather than be spat at. That's how horrible it is. And Job is having to suffer this. And then when we come to verse 11 through to 15, Job is seeing who it is who is allowing this to happen. He says, Now the God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me. You see, he knows it's of God. He says, they throw off restraints in my presence. On my right, the tribe attacks. They lay snares for my feet. They build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road. They succeed in destroying me. No one can help me. They say, and then they advance as through a gaping breach amid the ruins. 
They come rolling in, terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. I want us to stop for a moment and as we think about Job and the way he's suffering and the way he's not really getting an answer as to why it's happening, we can look at our television screens, we can read our newspapers and almost every day we hear about some international disaster that causes people to suffer. It might be a political upheaval, a drought, maybe a flood or an earthquake. And a question will often be asked, why does God allow these things to happen? We're seeing here in the life of Job that for him and his friends, there's no easy answer to this question. But the fact remains that these things are happening to Job. The fact is that these things happen to people in our day. Now Job and his friends will not be given an answer. Job's friends will draw their own conclusions and will come up with an answer as to why God is allowing Job to suffer. But it's the wrong answer. And the truth is that they don't know why God is allowing this to happen. Job, in the result of no answer being given, he's going to continue to acknowledge that God is in control. He doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand why God's allowing this to happen to him. He doesn't think that what is happening to him is fair. He will question God. He will ask God to answer him. No answer will be given. But notice this. He will not deny the fact that God is in control. And Job will not Curse God, he will not blame God. You know, when we see people suffering and when the question is asked, why does God allow this? The answer is that we don't know why. What we do know is that because of Adam's sin, we live in a sin-cursed world. But we must accept that there is more going on than we know about that's why we don't have the answers. That's why we don't have the ability to understand it. You see, the Apostle Paul reminds of, us of this as he writes to the church at Ephesus. We can read it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What Job and his friends don't know, and what they will never know until they are in glory, is that this that's going on in their lives is a spiritual battle. And the battle is also taking place in the heavenly realms. And they are unknowingly involved in this battle. On this occasion, Job's sufferings will eventually result in a defeat for Satan. Also, as we go through this passage, this book of Job, we are given a window, a window for you and I to see something of a battle that is also being fought on a higher level than just here on earth 
in order that sin will be defeated. Also, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus gave us an insight into the battle. When he defeated Satan in the wilderness, as Satan attempted to turn him away from his true purpose, a purpose that was so important that God the Father was arranging to send his Son into the world to suffer. Why? So that we could be redeemed. You know, this is often referred to as redemptive suffering, and that's what it is. The purpose of it was redemption. The wrong answer to the question, why does God allow suffering, is for us to turn around and blame God. This is what Satan wants Job to do. The right action is to trust that God has a purpose. A purpose for allowing these things to happen. Things that we don't understand, even when we don't know why they are happening. We should never try to second-guess God. That's what his three friends have been doing. Remember what Job said back in that first chapter of Job, verse 21 and 22. This is what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So there's a lesson for us there this evening. Well, let's go back to Job. Job, who has no defence against these rabble-rousers, and he's terrified of what will happen next. And he describes himself as being like a city under siege. All his dignity has been taken away. The walls are down. And it's God who has removed his defences. There's no hedge to protect him as he looks for the answer to the question, Why, Lord? Why, why me? So we go on into verse 16 through to 19, and Job now is facing death. And now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me, he binds me like the neck of my garments. He throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. See, for Job, it's as if God is strangling him with his own shirt. In other words, he's got him by the scruff of the neck. And if that's not enough, he's dragging him down into the mud. And when we come to verse 20 to 23, we have here the subject, which is very much giving Job a lot of pain and a lot of trouble, and that is the problem of unanswered prayer. Listen to what Job says. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly 
and the might of your hand, or with the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind and toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. This is agony upon agony. The agony of prayers not being answered. And it's leaving Job in a state of abandonment. And not only in his mind does God refuse to answer him, he seems to be pulling he seems to be pulling him, and as he does that, he seems to be piling on the pressure. And it's all without God telling him why, despite Job's cries for an answer. And with all this going on, in verse 24 through to 31, it, it's like as old Job is now saying, look, I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe this. And he gives a reason here. He says, Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion to owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre is turned to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. What is it that Job finds hard to believe? He can't believe that anyone would kick a man when he's down. And Job says, you know, I never did that. And I never would do that. And I can't understand this. I can't understand why the Lord would do this to me. I just can't make any sense of it. You know what we have here? We have an honest man being treated by Thieves as one who is worse than them. Mocked by people who he would have helped if they had let him. Jeered up by people who he had helped, but who now believed the lies that have been told about him. And the so-called wise men, so-called friends, who have made up their minds that Job deserves to suffer the way he is. And Job cries out to God and asks the question, why? And when no help comes, the suffering is increased. This is Job's suffering while a heavenly battle rages on. But because of Job's faithfulness to God, Satan will lose this battle. And you know, this is a forerunner to the one who's Suffering would not just win the battle, but it would win the war. Listen to this. With reference to Jesus in the words of the disciples, listen to what they said. And it's a question they asked. The question is, what kind of man is this? This is in Matthew 8, verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
you know, when we consider this, I, I thought about the words of the song by Brennan Sally Howarth. And I thought of verse 2. Let me just quote that verse to you now. What kind of man is this that died in agony? He who had done no wrong was crucified for me. What kind of man is this who laid aside his throne that I may know the love of God? What kind of man is this? You know, without suffering there would be no hope for mankind. This is suffering that brings about redemption and victory. I want us to finish this evening as we think about these things and we apply them to ourselves and the world that we live in and the questions that we might be asked. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, this is what it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, this is happening to Job. This is the reality of this verse. He is being strong, even in his weakness and the state he's in. He's being courageous. He is afraid. He is terrified. And because of them. But he knows that the Lord, his God, is with him. And he will never leave him or forsake him. I was thinking of just this line that came into my mind and it, it actually rhymes. I didn't mean it to rhyme, but it does. And it's a line that we can take away with us this evening. When God doesn't give an answer to prayer, it doesn't mean that God is not there. Isn't that a good thought? When God doesn't give us an answer to prayer, it doesn't mean that God is not there. Because he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these passages that we look at in the book of Job. We know that there are things that we will never be able to understand and we will never be able to give answers for. But, our oh, Father, we know that whatever happens, and no matter what we or the rest of the world thinks, you are in control. There is a purpose to all these things. And the purpose is in your hands. And our Father, we think of Jesus as he hung upon the cross, as he cried out for an answer, but there was no answer given. But our Father, we know that at the end, he could say those words, it is finished. The victory was won. And redemption was there for the sinner. Oh, Father, we just ask your continued blessing upon us now as we go through this evening into tomorrow, that you will continue to bless us, strengthen us and lead us, and remind us that you are there all the time. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.